Welcome to a special edition of Power Play. I'm Mike LeCouture. Today, remembering the service and the sacrifice. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. Thousands gathered in Ottawa for the first large-scale Remembrance Day ceremony in two years. It's a day to honour the fallen and those still fighting for this country. Among those at that ceremony, this year's National Silver Cross mother, Candy Greff. They didn't know who he was. They're remembering him with us. That is so touching. Her son, Master Corporal Byring, Byring Greff, was the last Canadian soldier to die on the ground in Afghanistan. We'll speak to Mrs. Greff about the memories of the man who is both a soldier and a son. Plus, a conversation about the service soldiers have given to this country and the services they aren't getting when they return home. Shortened processing times for disability benefits for veterans. So has it gotten better since the Auditor General's scathing report? We'll check in with the Minister of Veterans Affairs and the Defence Minister. Well, this was the scene at the tomb of the unknown soldier earlier today here in Ottawa. Following the ceremony at the National War Memorial in this capital, thousands left their poppies to pay tribute to our veterans. It's a Remembrance Day tradition and a moment for Canadians to reflect on the service and sacrifice of so many. Since Confederation, more than 118,000 Canadians have given their lives serving in uniform. One of those was Master Corporal Byron Greff. He was a member of the 3rd Battalion of Princess, Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. In October of 2011, Greff was on his second tour of duty in Afghanistan. He was in an armoured vehicle in Kabul when a suicide bomber set off a car filled with explosives. Greff was the last Canadian soldier to lose his life on the ground in Afghanistan. He left behind a wife, two children, and his parents. His mother, Candy Greff, was this year's National Silver Cross mother. It's a yearly honour bestowed on one mother of Canada's war dead. She's a symbol of the sacrifice made by soldiers' families, but also of their strength. Yesterday, I had the pleasure of sitting down with this year's Silver Cross mother. Here is that conversation. So I just want to ask you first, what do you remember most about your son, Byron? His dedication, his perseverance, just the way about him. If he had something to do, he did it with all of his heart and all of his might. Those are the, the most, that's what comes to my mind when I think of Byron. He was fun-loving too, wasn't he? He was. He was. What Hilarious. was it about him? Play jokes on, on anyone that was around tell jokes forever and you'd be laughing at his laugh he had the funniest laugh so loud so you would be laughing at his laugh and he would tell another maybe a lame joke and you're still laughing at his laugh so it went on your sides would hurt honestly Mike your sides would hurt tell me about his dedication to the military as well that was where the serious Byron came out and it was this is what I'm going to do. He did one year of cadets, army cadets, and then the following two years, grade 10 and grade 11, he didn't. And in grade 12, he said, Mom and Dad, I want to join the military. 
How'd you and feel when he said that? We were that? very surprised at that. We're not from a military family. So we were very surprised. But the determination in his voice and when he said he wanted to do something, he jumped in and did it. Were you ever concerned? Very concerned. In 2007, his first tour, very concerned. I was also concerned in 2011 when he went, but not as concerned. Mission had sort of changed a bit Yeah. for us. Tell me a little bit about the last time you saw him. The last time we saw him, he came back to Canada to see Brielle, his daughter, be born. We went there to Morinville, where they live, and we went out for breakfast. And he was, we were going back to Lacombe, and they were going back to their house. And that would be the last time that we would see him. He was scheduled to come home at Christmas time. So we were excited about that. And we said, all right, goodbye. See you at Christmas. We did not see him at Christmas. October 29th, 2011. Hmm. He's on the NATO bus. Yes. Going back to continue on his role as a special advisor to Afghan forces. What do you remember about that day? Sound asleep. The phone rings. Greg had left to work. I got up, looked at the call display, Byron Graff, their phone number in Morinville. Something maybe has happened to one of the kids. Maybe one of the kids is not feeling well. And I said, hello. And Lindsay told me that Byron had been killed. From there, Mike, it's a blur. It's, it's uh, I don't know what I said to her. I don't, I know that the shock was immediate. And that shock lasted and lasted and lasted. And I think sometimes, even today, I'm in shock because of all of that. But as I sit here, I said to you earlier before that I want to sit up tall. I want to hold my head up high. I want Byron to be as proud of me as my husband and I are of him and our entire family. As the National Silver Cross mom, you're going to be laying a wreath at the cenotaph behind you there, representing all moms of yeah. military personnel. When you do lay that wreath, what will you be thinking of? I'll be thinking of Byron, and he will be standing right beside me or right behind me. And I hope he'll be thinking to himself, good job, Mom. You make me proud. That's what I hope for. How does that make you feel? Sad, but honored because of all of the others that lost their lives and all the other Silver Cross moms and families. I need to do right by all of them. Byron is the first one that I'll think of, but I think of all of them and they all feel that grief, that pain of losing a child or a husband or wife. That the loss is so individual, but I will be thinking of Byron Foremost and all of the other Silver Cross mothers and families. What do you think of when you think of Remembrance Day now, it is different. Uh, as you said, you weren't from a military family. What do you want Canadians to think of on Remembrance Day, given your experience, 
And given how you feel about your son's service? I want Canadians to realize what they're doing when they sign, when they sign up, whether it be any part of the armed forces. When they're signing, they know what they're doing. But I don't know that, that other Canadians realize the importance of that signature and what it all means and what it will entail. So I want them to think about that and wear the poppy, support the legions, and be proud of all of our military members. I wanted to finish with some of the honours that have been there for Byron. You consider the fact that the Calm Royal Canadian Legion branch, they have a hall named after him. There's a beautiful pristine lake in north, northeastern Saskatchewan that's named Greff Lake. There's also a symbolic LAV armoured personnel carrier in the Fairview Cemetery in Lacombe, Alberta, where he now rests. Yes. What does that mean to you, that all of that is there for him as a legacy? That others are remembering him with us. If a person stops to think about that, they didn't know who he was. They're remembering him with us. That is so touching. That, I, I would just like to say thank you to the whole city of Lacombe. When we returned after he was repatriated here in, in Ontario and Trenton, they brought his body back. When we arrived to the Edmonton airport, we then drove to Lacombe. When we arrived in Lacombe, there were yellow ribbons on trees, lampposts, front steps, railings on people's front steps. It was so touching and meant the world to us as a family that there were others that were remembering him with us and thanking him for his service. And remembering his legacy that he gave to this country. Yes. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Such an amazing woman. Still to come on this Remembrance Day, the state of veteran services in this country. After seven years of promises to do better, where is the government making gains and what gaps remain? We'll ask the Minister of Veterans Affairs, Lawrence McCauley, right after this. Our special edition of Power Play continues. Our national prosperity is underpinned by security, by uh, stability in the international order. That international order is under increasing threat, and so along with our friends, partners and allies, we need to do our part to, uh, to defend it, to ensure that the prosperity of this country continues. Those Canadians take today to reflect on the sacrifices made by our veterans and military personnel. Too often, we don't think about how our veterans are being treated the other 364 days of the year. Last May, Canada's Auditor General released a scathing report about the Department of Veterans Affairs. The Auditor General found that there were unacceptable delays for veterans who are seeking disability benefits. The median wait time for a decision is 39 weeks, or nearly nine months. The Department's service standard is 16 weeks. The Auditor General also found that previous efforts at hiring temporary employees did not clear the benefits backlog. Since then, Canada's Veterans Ombudsman found that the wait times for RCMP vets has improved, but despite some improvements, the Ombudsman finds Veterans Affairs is still far from meeting their service standard. 
It all comes as Canadians are facing the affordability crisis and a health care system that some say is crumbling. So what is the government doing to help vets weather these storms? Let's find out. Joining me now is Veteran Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley. Minister, thanks so much for taking the time. You're also the Associate Minister of National Defence. But I wanted to ask you, especially on a day like today, where does your mind go in terms of not only helping veterans, but making sure that they have the services that are required? Well, of course, that's always an issue, helping veterans and having the services they require. But today, it's hard not to think about the Commonwealth more cemeteries and you walk through them and you see Canadians 18, 19 and 22 years of age paid the ultimate sacrifice. It's hard not to think about that. It's a very emotional day. Like when you look at what took place down at the war memorial and the crowds that was there, the, the gun salute, the fly pass, the bagpipes, man. Heart- heartening that people came back. Oh, it was wonderful for the veterans for sure and, mm-hmm. and wonderful for me and you and anybody that was there. It, it's, if you couldn't find a tear around that place, you don't have a tear in you. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the services particularly, especially the Auditor General report that we saw back in the spring. Now, the standard of processing disability benefits is 16 weeks in 80% of the cases. However, that AG report had said that your department has not met that standard in seven years, and that dates back to when the Trudeau government came in. Why hasn't it? Well, there's a number of reasons, actually. As as you know, when we formed government, the previous government had fired a 1,000 employees, closed all the offices. We had to do that. It was estimated by by media and others that it would take 10 years. We we are back to normal at at the moment. We have the staff in place and we have reduced the backlog substantially. In fact, uh, it's it's now down average 25 weeks, not 16, should be. We put a plan in place uh, about a year and a half ago. We expect to reach the national standard by next spring or summer. Not expect, we will reach the national standard by spring or summer, and we should do that because veterans need and deserve it. But it's taken seven years for that promise to come forward. Why should veterans believe that it will happen by next spring? Well, of course, uh, it just doesn't happen next spring. The backlog was much larger at one time, and now it's down to, uh, I could go through the figures on that, but it's now down to 25. We have to get it to 16. Not good enough, not Mm -hmm. good enough, but when we get it to 16 weeks, we will have reached the national standard, and that's the goal that I indicated we would do when I was appointed minister, and we will do that. There's been a lot of criticism. for you as minister. Last month we saw that you did announce $43 million for news funding over three years to extend the contracts of temporary case managers and some non-permanent staff. But the Auditor General also pointed in her report saying that you need a more stable workforce. So why not have more permanent positions here? My job is to make sure we have the employees in place to do the job. We started with, with a with a backlog that was totally unacceptable, is still unacceptable. We have the workforce in place to meet the commitment that I made, and we will do it. My job is to make sure we have the programs and services in place for veterans and, and, and the, the staff to carry it out. We, will ha- we have that, and we will meet the national but standard. But not full-time staff? Because the union is calling for your job. The Union of Veterans Affairs Workers is calling for your job. Well, the union asked me to cancel a contract that serves 14,000 veterans with, that, 
that uh, they can access 9,000 9, professionals right across the country. That is, uh, is a program that they were fully informed with all the, time, all the way through, and it's a program that helps 14,000 veterans in, and thousands of, of professionals in small towns and cities and rural areas across the country. Veterans need that program, and, and we, uh, it would be a shame to cancel that contract. At a time when your government is looking to sort of make sure that they're keeping an eye on the purse strings, is more money needed in your department now, and is, is there an option to get more money to make sure that we clear that backlog even quicker? Well, what I did uh, two years ago was indicated we were going to put a program in place. We had goals to meet. We have met that pretty well. Now the COVID uh, has slowed us down a wee bit, but we will meet the target by next spring or summer. What I said we would do was we would meet the national standard by spring, by uh, th uh, next spring or summer, and we will do that. I can, that I would commit to. Vitally important for veterans, and we will do it. Minister of Veterans Affairs, Lawrence McCauley, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Now to the current state of Canada's military as Russia's war in Ukraine shines a spotlight on the operational readiness of the Canadian Armed Forces. Canada's military is facing a major recruitment and retention problem. About 10,000 military vacancies need to be filled. So what is the government doing to build up the next generation of troops? Let's find out. Joining me now is the Minister of National Defence, Anita Anand. Thank you so much for joining us, Minister. I wanted to ask you, as the Minister, you are responsible for the deploy deployment of our troops across the world, many right now serving far from home. What are your thoughts like on a day like today with the state of our world and the state of our military? It is a, such an important question, Mike, to ask on this Remembrance Day when we are recognizing the service of Canadian Armed Forces members past and present. And I want to pay my ultimate homage to them for their sacrifice and their service. In terms of our current global strategic environment, the world is growing darker. And we see this, of course, with the illegal and unjustified invasion by Russia of Ukraine. And my message today is for us to continue to support our Canadian Armed Forces and to recognize their service, both at home in terms of their response during the COVID-19 pandemic and during forest fires and floods, but also internationally. The work they do in protecting NATO's eastern flank under Operation Reassurance in Latvia and in Operation Unifier in terms of training Ukrainian new recruits in England and Ukrainian engineers in Poland is second to none. Our Canadian Armed Forces are recognized across the world because of their commitment and their service and their training capabilities. And this is a day that we need to make sure to say thank you profusely to the Canadian Armed Forces and all who have served. And while we do that, there still remain 10,000 vacancies across the armed forces. Now, the chief of the defense staff issued a sweeping reconstitution order to make recruitment and retention a top priority. Where are we on that right now? You're exactly right. Recruitment and retention is a top priority. We need to grow the Canadian Armed Forces. And so what we are doing is to make sure that our staffing of recruitment centers across the country 
is maximized. I've been visiting these recruitment centers to indicate that this is an all-hands-on-deck moment for the Canadian Armed Forces. In addition, we are temporarily reducing the time for basic training, and we are continuing to implement the Arbor recommendations so that the Canadian Armed Forces is an institution where everyone who joins is safe, protected, and respected, and this is an institution that can continue to grow on this basis. I wanted to uh, follow up on that Arbor report and the recommendations. You are supposed to follow up with which recommendations by the end of this year you will not be following. So when will we hear about that? I'm so glad you asked that, Mike, because notwithstanding all of the efforts that we are making to assist Ukraine and address other global situations, including in the Indo-Pacific, I have not taken my eye off the ball on the implementation of Madame Arbour's recommendations. Recently, I appointed Jocelyn Terrien to be the external monitor to oversee the implementation of the Arbour recommendations. And as you know, I accepted Madame Arbour's interim recommendation to transfer cases from the military to the civil justice system. In terms of your question and reporting back to Parliament, we are preparing to do that now and we will be doing that in the coming weeks um, because we are making sure that we continue to implement Madame Arbour's recommendations. Already, we are making sure that the Sexual Misconduct Center Resource Center is uh, well-resourced and providing further robust resources to that center. We are also making sure that the process for elevating general and flag officers is robust, and we are making sure that uh, cadets have the training that they need in terms of diversity and inclusion and other important topics is present. So we're already moving on many of the Arbor recommendations. But Minister, sorry to interrupt, I've only got about 30 seconds left, so which ones will you not be moving on then? That will be contained in my report to Parliament, which, as I said, is coming in the next weeks. And I'll look forward to coming back here with you, Mike, to have a fuller conversation about those recommendations in particular. But I will say we're taking a full-fledged approach to implementing Madame Arbour's recommendations. And I do look forward to that conversation, and I appreciate this one. The Minister of National Defence, Anita Anand, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you so much, Mike. Take good care. The Prime Minister was not at today's National Remembrance Day ceremony here in Ottawa, but he did mark the day on a refueling stop in Anchorage. About a dozen military personnel were waiting for Trudeau's arrival at his pit stop in Alaska. The Prime Minister spoke with the members of the Canadian Forces before taking a picture with the group. Over the next 10 days, Trudeau will be at the ASEAN, APEC, G20 and Francophonie summits. So you heard from the government and what they said they're doing for our military and veterans. Coming up, we'll get the opposition parties to weigh in. What do they think needs to be changed at Veterans Affairs Canada and the Department of National Defence? Opposition MPs join us next on this very special edition of Power Play. Well, what I did uh, two years ago was indicated we were going to put a program in place. We had goals to meet. We have met that pretty well. Now the COVID uh, has slowed us down a wee bit, but we will meet 
the target by next spring or summer. What I said we would do was we would meet the national standard by spring, by uh, th uh, next spring or summer, and we will do that. I can, that I will commit to. Vitally important for veterans, and we will do it. That was Veteran Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley talking about the current backlog to process disability benefits for veterans and his promise to take care of it. Minister McCauley told PowerPlay he's committed to meeting the national standard by next spring or summer. And just a reminder, that service standard for the Department of Veterans Affairs is 16 weeks in 80% of the cases. But Canada's Veterans Ombudsman found the average wait time to process claims was 43 weeks for applicants, and that's almost... 10 months. So last month, the federal government did announce they were investing $43 million over three or three years to address staffing shortages in the department to help the ratio of case managers to veterans. But as backlogs continue to grow for medical procedures and the cost of living continues to put a strain on finances, is that target of next spring even realistic? Let's bring in our panel of opposition MPs to weigh in. We have conservative critic James Bazan, and we also have the NDP defense critic Lindsay Matheson, welcome to you both. Mr. Bazan, we'll start with you. The Liberals did just invest $3 million to extend workers' contracts. Do you think that Minister McCauley's claim that they can clear the backlog in four to six months is realistic? Well, first of all, let me just say, Mike, that I want to uh, just uh, pay our respects to uh, all our veterans. Uh, that we thank you for your service. Uh, we honour those that made the ultimate sacrifice. And uh, today is a very important day uh, for all Canadians. And it was very uh, disrespectful for Justin Trudeau not to attend uh, the National War Memorial Remembrance Day service, uh, not to uh, even stop in at either Hong Kong or in South Korea at any of the war cemeteries where Canadians are buried to honour those uh, uh, soldiers who, who, who made the ultimate sacrifice in, in uh, fighting for Canada. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's shameful, and I think all Canadians are, are very disappointed in our Prime Minister. I don't believe um, Mr. McCauley or the Liberals every time they talk about uh, Veterans Affairs. Uh, we know that uh, they've missed the mark, and actually uh, things got worse under their time in office. And uh, I just had an RCMP veteran uh, reach out to me this past week, and he's now two and a half years still waiting for his disability claim. And uh, he had to leave because of injury and uh, illness and is not able to go and work anywhere else and uh, is, is you know, barely able to make ends meet. Two and a half years is, is deplorable service by, by this government. And, you know, to, just to highlight how bad things have gotten under this Liberals is that it's unprecedented for a union of a department to say that the minister must resign. And for the Veterans Affairs Employees Union to actually call out uh, Lawrence McCauley for failure to provide the proper uh, care and attention to our veterans is, uh, is unbelievable. Uh, but it just talks to the overall state of the situation on how bad the Liberals have managed the veterans file. Ms. Matheson, what do you think about the government's claim that they can meet the target by next year? Uh, well, I too want to uh, also thank veterans and, and service uh, men and women who are currently serving. Uh, today was an incredibly moving ceremony, as it always is in, in my home community, and I'm always so grateful to be able to, to talk to the folks on the ground, uh, the veterans uh, who have given us so much. Uh, but uh, I, I don't believe that the government has moved fast enough. Uh, yes, they were hit with previous government's uh, cuts, but ultimately seven years they've, they've had 
had the opportunity to change that and they haven't moved fast enough. And uh, to simply try and um, make excuses consistently doesn't help the men and women that we owe a great deal to. Uh, you know, veterans, they, they went, they went uh, and, and served their country and we made a commitment to them, to their families, and we are not providing, uh, we are not living up to that, to that end of our agreement. So we need to do a lot more. Mr. President, since I've got you here and you're both the national defense critics, I wanted to ask you about the defense, uh, the staffing shortage within the Canadian Armed Forces. What does this government need to do to try and boost recruitment and retention? Well, they have to get down to the job, and they haven't been doing it, and they haven't shown uh, this as a priority. So I, I appreciate that General Iyer has uh, now uh, uh, called out that this is a crisis. I call it a catastrophe uh, that we're down at least 10,000 uh, members, uh, according to retired uh, Chief of Defence Staff Rick Hillier. Uh, he believes that number is that we're not at 71,000. We're closer to the 46,000 of actual deployable forces. Um, that uh, is, is really putting our current serving members in a precarious situation as it continues to try to carry the load. And uh, we have still high operational tempo required, not only for missions uh, here at home for natural disaster and, and, and uh, other requirements like we had during COVID, but we still have troops that are deployed in Iraq and uh, out in Latvia and training uh, Ukrainian forces in, in Europe. So uh, the, the demands are getting, going to get more. And uh, we have to make sure we move away from the quota system that the, the Liberals have been using. We have to go out there and make sure that th those people that want to enlist uh, can get into basic training and then f fulfill their their uh, career path and, and get the trade training that they want uh, so they can serve in the Canadian Armed Forces. It's an honourable uh, life uh, that that uh, one that all of us as Canadians. It is, Mr. Uh, Kazan, and I hate to cut you off, for. but I want to I want to allow Ms. Matheson to weigh in on this on the recruitment and retention. I'm sorry about that, Mr. Kazan, but Ms. Matheson, I've only got about 30 seconds here. Um, it is absolutely so important, and and we studied this in our committee. We we heard so many incredible ideas about where where we need to go. I know that General Ayer, um he also specifically talked about um, the the commitment that they have to to get to um, uh, eliminating the sexual misconduct uh, issues that we've seen, uh, but report after report after report we've seen from this government, they are not acting on it. And in addition, uh, General Eyre was very clear that uh, things like healthcare, things like doctors, things like housing are very important to a, a person serving and their families. And, and that needs to be uh, focused on by this government and those supports need to be provided. Lindsay Matheson, James Bazan, thank you so much for continuing this conversation. It will continue after ours right here. Thank you so much for joining us. Still to come, a day to remember the past, but also a day to reflect on the current conflict. Nine months into the war in Ukraine, what does that country still need from Canada? We talk to Ukraine's ambassador to Canada next on Power Play. I think um, even in these tough times as we approach this winter, I think Canada and the United States are going to stand with Ukraine. It has been nine months since Russia first invaded Ukraine, but the bloodshed continues. The United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights recorded 284 civilian deaths in Ukraine just last month. That office has already recorded nearly 6,500 civilian deaths between February 25th, 24th 
and November 6th. Ukraine continues to fight with the support of its global allies. Russia says it has withdrawn its troops from the strategic city of Kherson. So how does Ukraine sustain its fight nine months in, and what role is Canada's training efforts in Operation Unifier playing in that battle? Let's find out. And joining me now is Ukraine's ambassador to Canada, Yulia Kovalev. Welcome, Ambassador. Thank you for being back on Power Play. You know, Remembrance Day is a day that Canadians reflect on past conflicts, but the current conflict obviously top of mind for you and a lot of Canadians. I wanted to ask you to reflect on what is happening right now in, in your home of Ukraine. And first of all, let me tell you that uh, today is the Remembrance Day and we commemorate men and women in the uniform who both protected us all together in the democracy in many wars before. But as we in Ukraine are now fighting for democracy, that is so important also for us to uh, commemorate the memory of those who lost their lives and those who uh, joined, uh, and the Canadians who joined uh, Ukrainian le International Legion, uh, Legion also to, to help us to protect our country. And that's very important for all of us to respect the memory of those and to support the families of those brave and courage heroes. And as today in Ukraine, we have some like good news. Ukrainian flags are coming back to Kherson, uh, um, um, capital of the Kherson region. And of course, like we see a lot of people on the street of Kherson with Ukrainian flags and welcoming Ukrainian soldiers there. And that is a very important thing to us to be able, as we said many times, we want to liberate all of the Ukrainian territory. Incredible news, but at the same time, there are concerns that in Kherson that it could become, as some have called it, a city of death with what Russian troops may have uh, left behind. So do you have the resources right now to make sure that there are sweeps of the city, to make sure that there are no mines and that it is safe for people to return? Of course, the mines is the big issue. It's both in, uh, in the cities like Kherson and many other territory of Ukraine that was uh, uh, put in the, the Russian left there with the mines. Unfortunately, in summer we had many cases when Ukrainian farmers just died on the field because of the mines. And of course, the support that together the Canadian government is providing us with the, the mining equipment, with the training of our civil mining groups is a crucial important because we want to bring as quickly as possible normal life to the civilians. And we see now that in Kherson, we also assume that there is a huge risk for a lot of mines to be spread throughout the city. That's why all of our rescue team will work day by day as quickly as we can uh, to provide the normal life coming back to Ukrainian Kherson. Yesterday there was a call between President Zelensky and Prime Minister Trudeau and in that the President thanked Canada for large-scale support but he also discussed the possibility of Canada expanding that help for Ukraine, especially when you consider the gains that we're seeing in Ukraine. What more do you want Canada to do to help in Ukraine? Uh, first of all, uh, we welcome uh, an announcement of Prime Minister Trudeau in Winnipeg about issuing uh, Ukrainian sovereignty bonds. It's important because Almost each day, I personally have many questions from Canadians, just people I, I met throughout the, the country I travel. How can we support Ukraine? And this is an instrument how every Canadian can support Ukrainians, just buying the Ukrainian sovereignty bonds, which is also a very symbolic one. And another thing is, is something that uh, 
is really very important is the military support. Mm -hmm. We are able to uh, uh, to get the control uh, over our territory. That is because our heroes. That is because also they are them uh, being well trained. And we also thank you here for the uh, Unifier project, uh, the training that right. keep on now in UK training Ukrainian soldiers. And also we are losing uh, some of the military equipment on the battlefield, which should be replaced. And of course, we uh, we would value more military support for Ukraine. In terms of that, now Canada is going through a bit of a difficult time facing down a recession, but at the same time, Nanos Research, a polling firm here for CTV News, found in a new poll that even if Canada is facing this large deficit, 71% of Canadians support um, sending more support to Ukraine. So in that regards, would you want more money from the federal government, more military equipment? What is the ask right now from the Canadian government? First... I would like to thank every Canadian for standing with Ukraine. And this 71% you mentioned, it's mattered a lot for us. And uh, in terms of the support, of course, like the, the military support is actually something that helps very precise for us to get our territories back. Now we have another issue. It's with Ukrainian critical infrastructure. When we are talking together with you now, many of the people in Ukraine, millions of them, are sitting without the electricity. Because with the recent attacks, Russia destroyed over 30% of the, our electricity infrastructure. And we, of course, need to bring normal life to millions of Ukrainians. That's where also the, the financial support uh, is needed. So there are a lot of the things, including the food security that we are discussing with the Canadian government and we're grateful for, for their support. But there is one more thing I would like to remind to all of, uh, all of us. Even the great the inflation that Canada and many other countries are facing now, the big source of this inflation is just the Putin's war against Ukraine, which brought the energy prices high because of the threatening of the uh, grain export from Ukraine. It's one more time bringing the uh, food prices up. So one of the main reasons of this global inflation is actually the Russian invasion and Russian full-scale war in Ukraine. So as we all together put our efforts, not only to fiscal mechanism and monetary mechanism to lower down inflation, but help us to win the war, that will make the global inflation much lower. Very true. Ukraine's ambassador to Canada, Yulia Kovalev, thank you so much for joining us once again here. Thank you. Still to come, the benefits backlog. We know it hurts veterans, but how does it impact the charities helping Canadian veterans? The Press Gallery digs into that coming up next. I'll be thinking of my grandpa. Uh, he was in the Air Force in the Second World War and he was an inspiration to me. He was the reason I uh, joined the Air Cadets as a kid. While Canada takes time to remember today, there are organizations that spend every day of the year working to support Canada's veterans. Veterans Emergency Transition Services, or Vets Canada, has hundreds of volunteers assisting veterans experiencing homelessness and facing a range of difficulties. With more and more veterans relying on Vets Canada, does that organization have the resources it needs? Let's bring in the press gallery to discuss this. Joining me are CTV News Senior Digital Parliamentary Reporter Rachel Aiello, 
Toronto Star columnist Susan Delacourt. And our special guest tonight is Debbie Lather. She is the co-founder and CEO of Vets Canada. Nice to see you all. Debbie, you were listening to Minister McCauley earlier. What do you think the government needs to do to regain control of that backlog? Um, well, I think that they need to put the resources in place to actually have more adjudicators. I know that the government has invested hundreds of millions of dollars, um, apparently, to hire new case managers and veteran service agents, but those aren't the people who adjudicate these files that are, are backlogged. Um, they're a completely separate section of the department um, who adjudicate these files. So I think if they focus some resources on hiring those people, um, that would help. And I also think that maybe they could push through some of the less complicated files just to, you know, catch up and, and you know, move forward. It's Debbie Lowther. I apologize for mispronouncing that. And Debbie, next question to you again. How does this backlog impact the work that your organization does every day? Well, we provide support to veterans who are in crisis, at risk of becoming homeless or who are already homeless. And, you know, with the rising cost of everything, all Canadians are, are struggling right now, but veterans also are struggling. Um, and particularly if they're waiting for decisions to be made on those uh, disability awards or benefits. Um, so then they, they need to rely on us to help them, you know, to bridge that gap until they do have funds coming in. So, you know, we've become increasingly more and more busy. And, you know, most of our referrals do come from the department, from uh, Veterans Affairs case managers. So we're really busy. Um, and, it, you know, it takes a toll on our finances. And, you know, that's what we're here for, obviously. But we are a charity at the end of the day. And, you know, it costs money for us to be able to support those folks. Rachel, I wanted to ask you about the political attention that we pay to Remembrance Day. We do it today. Yeah. What about every other day of the week? Is there enough political pressure on governments to really focus on that every other day? I think that's a good question, Mike. When we think about how many different shortcomings, government issues with service delivery there are across departments, I think if you could look at each one of them every day and kind of drill into the issues those people are facing, we could have these conversations more often. But it's just, I think, a testament to how many different challenges the government is facing on various different files, that this isn't the one that's on fire every day. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I, it was interesting for me to hear earlier in the show, Anita and Nan, talk about how the military is their top priority. You hear every minister say they have their top priority. So I think there is a push and a fight there to try to make sure whoever's file it is, is getting that heightened attention. But yes, you're right. Every Remembrance Day, we come around and wonder, oh, yeah, what is that backlog at? Where are things on this? And I think it's a fair question. And it's also on the opposition parties to keep up the pressure to make sure that this is brought to attention more often than just one day a year. Susan, what does that say about what Canadians really feel about veterans? Or, or does that not sort of connect? I, I don't think, I think, you know, we see a day like today, they do. I, I keep thinking about COVID. And it, the government showed what it could do when it had the will. And one of the proposals to end the backlog is pay disabled vets now, audit later. That was the model for COVID as well. You know, let's get the money out the door and we can catch the mistakes later. If they're going to replicate that model with anybody else in Canada, it might be good to start with veterans. You know, it worked during uh, COVID and I, I don't see why it couldn't work now. So... 
I'm surprised they're not taking the lessons they've already learned. Otherwise, is it just lip service and saying that we care about veterans, but then not actually putting the money behind it? I think Rachel's right. It's, you know, with the military, there are all these other issues that we talk about, you know, systemic problems. And I, I what I read in Veterans Affairs, systemic problems again, too. It's, um, I don't think it's a lack of political will by any political party. Nobody wants to beat up on on uh, veterans, but I, I do think that um, it, it's a, you know, the problems are it's, it's systemic. Yeah, Rachel, you wanted to well, get in there? Just when we're talking about the military recruitment issue, obviously what's going on with the veterans is having a knock-on effect there. If you're looking at a new recruit, thinking about joining the military, going through that sacrifice, moving your family across the country, let alone across the world, and then, hey, when I come back, it's going to be really hard for me to get the support I need. I can't imagine that's a, an incentive for many people to sign up and serve. Debbie, I want to ask you about this. I mean, your whole organization is about helping veterans. And I'm sure that you find an increased sort of, you know, focus on your, your, your organization in November. But after that, do you have a difficulty trying to get not only the government's attention, but everybody's attention to try and donate? Yeah, it is difficult. And, you know, to be honest, it's a little frustrating that, you know, we all wear our poppies and we all care about veterans at this time of year, but they're struggling every day, all year long, not just in November. So, you know, it is difficult for organizations like us who, you know, we deal with this all day, all year long. Um, so it is, it is difficult and it's frustrating. How much more can you push back on the government for more funding or for more help? Well, we're trying. Um, at one point in time, we did have a contract with the government, um, and then that ended. And so now we apply for funding, like many other organizations, through Veterans Affairs uh, Veteran and Family Wellbeing Fund. Um, but we have to do that every one or two years. So it's it's a constant worry of trying to figure out where the next dollars are going to come from. Um, and it's frustrating when, like I said, most of our referrals do come from the department. So, you know, we're not asking for a lot, just for, you know, funds to take care of the veterans that they're sending our way. I've only got about 20 seconds left. Is it a funding issue or is it a mismanagement issue in your mind? Uh, for funding issue for the government or for yeah, veterans it, it, or in general? Yeah, or is the government just not dealing with the money properly? It's hard to say. You know, we've been told that, you know, they're trying to find funding for us. They need to find the proper funding stream for it to come from. So, you know, in the meantime, we just wait and put our heads down and continue helping as many veterans as we can. Debbie, I appreciate that. Susan, Rachel, I appreciate your input as well. That is your Power Play Week in Politics. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. We leave you tonight with some of the moments from the National Remembrance Day ceremony here in Ottawa. Good night, everyone.